welcome back to the Going Coastal podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, Heather Wade. And I'm also one of your co-hosts, Marissa Torres. On this episode, we welcome Mr. Tony Pratt, Executive Director of our very own ASBPA, to talk about the role of policy and regulations in the coastal community, in addition to his own experiences diving into the world of coastal policy. Welcome, Tony. We're really glad to have you here. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for uh, hosting this today. Absolutely. So this, uh, our coastal policy uh, segment is, you know, really uh, about, you know, the policy side of the coastal profession. And so um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, where you're from and how you got into to being a coastal professional and, and how you ended up in coastal policy? Yeah, it's an, it's a, it's an interesting convoluted uh, route that got me here but um so i i am um, i'm a massachusetts uh, raised kid i spent my formative years outside of the city of boston went to hampshire college out in amherst massachusetts and began a wildlife wildlife biology track in my first couple of years in college uh actually tracking coyotes in the wilds and um i through family old family connections i spent my summers in ocean city maryland and being a, a natural science geek, I decided that I was going to spend a lot of my nights down at Assateague listening to the um, naturalists give presentations. And somebody talked about uh, coastal geomorphology and being a surfer and kind of a beach rat as a kid. I thought, man, if you can combine science and beaches and waves, uh, my whole future is just laying out in front of me. So um, I switched my major at, at college and took uh, geology courses. Ended up working at the University of Massachusetts studying the Lower Delmarva. Uh, my uh, ex-wife now uh, decided to come down to Delaware to get her master's degree from the University of Delaware in coastal geology. And uh, I ended up with a job with the Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control for the state of Delaware, where I was the uh, person involved with regulatory oversight uh, on the beaches. And over the years, 38 years, I had a career with, with a, as we call it, DNREC in Delaware, and um, ended up being the administrator of that section, which was Shoreline and Waterway. Somewhere along the lines, an old colleague of mine nominated me to be on the board of ASBPA, and uh, I, I didn't duck fast enough. I was on the board, and the next thing you know, I'm an officer because, again, I didn't duck fast enough, and somebody said, we need somebody to sit in these seats. Lo and behold, a few years later, I'm executive vice president and uh, then took over as president. And in the last year, um, I, we've had an absent uh, executive director with Derek Brockbank, who moved over to the Coastal States Organization. And uh, I've been fulfilling that role. And the executive committee determined that um, I might do well uh, serving as executive director for the foreseeable future. So in a nutshell, that's how I got here. Wow, that is impressive. And 38 years in uh, regulatory, that's uh, exciting to me. Um, I, it's funny, you know, we're always talking to engineers on this uh, show. And and so when you said wildlife biologist, uh, my ears perked up and then turns out you're a geologist. <laughs> uh, so 
what would you say when you worked for the Delaware Department of Natural Resources, what would you say was your favorite part about doing regulatory and policy work? Well, the regulatory part of it was was actually very, very hands-on the first about 10 years I was there. And then I evolved into managing a uh, more complex section that involved engineering, geology. Um, I also, along the, t- along the way, uh, became an elected official in my local coastal town. Uh, I've been had, had a variety of seats. I've been on some National Academies committees. I've had a very interesting opportunity being in, in Delaware, close to D.C. I was had uh, some opportunities come up before me, which allowed me to to experience a tremendous amount of variety in coastal management issues. The the thing that stands out, and, and I think that um, it bears uh, really talking about, is that, that policy, while made by elected officials at the federal level, the state level, sometimes county and town levels, is best informed by clear, concise, uh, well-developed science and technology. And, and that's really the stronghold of ASBPA is that we have a tremendous membership in the technical side between geologists and, and engineers who come to mind first and foremost, but we, we also include uh, economics and economists, uh, sort of the social aspects of, of, of what we do. So the evolution in my mind of what I did for so many years in, in DNREC in, in Delaware and then involved in ASBPA was that looking at looking at why the investments made at the coast to enhance beaches uh, utilize sediment in a more intelligent way uh, is really based on on what it provides back to society. It provides back, obviously, enhanced beaches, provide better protection against storms and eventually sea level rise. It provides a better recreational opportunity. And so we, we, we keep pushing hard to convince others that the policy, policies of this country should reflect um, the fact that, that decision-making is made at a very local level as to how land will be used. But once the buildings are there, we have a responsibility to protect them as best we can. So it's, it's that, that nexus, if you will, of, of geology, engineering, sociology, economics, a little politics, and, and common sense. And that's what I find exciting. It's the diversity of the things that go into good policy policy that's accepted by by people on many, many levels. How interesting. It is really like a melting pot of all of these technical and kind of semi-non-technical fields um, all mixed together for uniting for a common cause and protecting uh, our lands and the people and animals who exist on those lands. Um, So you mentioned, for example, one of the like regulatory or policy decisions that you had a hand in was using sediment in a more intelligent way. So that would be an example of something that any like any state at the local level, um, even at the national level, that any Department of Natural Resources would um, have a hand in. What other type of projects um, or laws or regulatory decisions did you have a hand in either at the Delaware level um, or in your role now? When I started working with the, the, the Delaware Department of Natural Resources in 1980, it's a long time ago. Um, the common 
up until the seventies and really get into getting into the eighties and just about the, the time I was involved in beach management, both from a regulatory standpoint and then from a, a responsible management level of what are we going to do to, to abate and control um, high energy ocean uh, hitting a landform of beaches and dunes. There had been a tremendous emphasis in this country and, and a state by state level um, to use hard structures, seawalls, bulkheads, uh, jetties, groins, anything that was a solid, firm uh, surface that would not give way. And so waves could bash against it and what was on the landward side. And we began to see that that, that was really a, a short-sighted and short-term uh, solution because following World War II, there was a tremendous boom in this country of, of people. We have the baby boomers that came forward after the 1940s, and I'm, and I'm part of that generation. And family vacations, which very often were focused on going to the beach, provided a completely different set of incentives. And that was that the recreational beach was very important to local economies. And the service industry in this country, over the, over the course of my professional career in Denrec of almost 40 years, we have seen a, a, a sharply rising service industry in this country and declining manufacturing. Uh, so, so a society has built a, a massive economy around recreational tourism and many, many locations of inland on rivers on ponds and, and certainly at the beach and ski areas, whatever. Um, and so I think, you know, we've seen the, the reflection of that in the way we number one regulate activities but perhaps even more so in the way we begin to break down what's collectively or, or, or usually referred to as the stove piping in, in agencies. And what comes to mind without picking on them is the Corps of Engineers, where there's a mission in the, within the Corps to maintain channels, which means removing sediment. So in, in many locations, they have uh, funding and professionals working with a nuisance of sediment and sometimes that nuisance sediment that's clogging channels is good quality sand to be put in somewhere else which can reduce the risk of flooding and storm damage and it's a question of <clears throat> looking holistically i think across the board at all the tools you have both regulatory and then looking at the budgeting that goes on to look at how we reuse sediment regionally we call it regional sediment management and it's a way of taking advantage of of one mission of the core and, and many many states my state had the same same mission keeping boating channels free of of sediment and and the, the historic process was to get rid of that sediment as cheaply and, and quickly as you possibly could and a lot of times it went into a confined disposal facility upland and was embargoed away from the coast for forever uh and was at some point considered to be an overburden on the land, and we're dealing with that in, in many ways. But there's an opportunity to to hit another mission of the core that is funded differently, um, and the states are the same way. So, you know, looking holistically, I think across the board at the way we can improve the way we manage a coast, the way we can take advantage of one action versus another action. I think we're uh, knocking on the door, looking at how we recycle sand within the literal cells on beaches. Um, I'm working right now in my retirement from the state. I'm consulting and I'm working on a uh, bounded beach that has a inlet and jetties at one end and a breakwater protecting a giant uh, ferry that goes from the Delaware to New Jersey. And it's a bounded system where the sand sloshes from 
one area to the next. I've been on the Oregon coast where there are um, uh, beaches that are between headlands and they're similar, whether it's a, um, uh, you know, the, with that with, with storm uh, systems that will pull sand from the south to the north, and then you get a reversal of that from north to south and the sloshes within that. We're just beginning to understand how we manage beaches as bigger systems. And I think that can be reflected in the regulatory world as well. That's fascinating. Uh, thanks for those examples. Um, so let's go to the role of ASBPA in U.S. coastal policy discourse. How does ASBPA participate in those conversations? We have we have some very fundamental um Elements. I, I think the two leaders in that conversation are the uh, Science and Technology Committee. Uh, well, I, I'm going to say three, but let's start with Science and Technology, where we have uh, some of the nation's best engineers and geologists and other scientists interested in, in ongoing dialogue as to how we can continue to make these improvements, some of which I've been outlining just a few minutes ago, and combined with a strong, strong government affairs committee and um, and keeping our, our eyes and ears on the ground in Washington as to what kind of federal uh, opportunities, both funding opportunities, uh, regulatory um, changes that might might be uh, make doing business a little bit easier and, and, and wiser, um, and certainly the role of the Corps of Engineers and, uh, and others in mitigating future storm damage and suffering that occurs there has been a trend in this country, and I'm going to depart just for a second, a trend in this country to uh, really kind of react to storms after they occur in, in our neck of the woods, Delaware, New Jersey, where I happen to be working. Uh, Sandy is the most notable, but but many hurricanes in the Gulf Coast, Ike and Andrew way back when in Florida and, uh, and lots of others we can talk about. Uh, we wait till the disaster hits and then we, then we, you know, look at the damage that's occurred, and we go back and we we spend a tremendous amount of money recovering and then and then rebuilding. Where I think we spent some money up front that the ratio is something like one dollar spent in mitigation, leave seven dollars in in response recovery and rebuilding later on. So combining the science and technology folks that are involved with ASBPA and the in the in the the positions that they're promoting and the studies that they're promoting and the white papers that they write help us inform elected officials as to uh, perhaps a, a better way to do business and perhaps why the investment beforehand is so much wiser than waiting to react later on. And I think the third element that ASBPA provides is what you all are representing, which is the uh, students and, and new professionals. And that's the next generation of folks that are going to come along behind people like me who have been at this for a long time. And it's providing an opportunity, um, a collegial opportunity uh, to build team members of, of the future management and to, to, so people like me can hand the baton back uh, to, the, to the folks coming in behind me. And I can step off the racetrack a, after a little while and, and let you all run with this. So I think between the technical side, the, the, the coastal um, advocacy side uh, with government affairs, and then the young professionals and, and students coming forward. We have a, a three-legged uh, stool that makes a tremendous difference in the way our coasts will be managed in the future. 
Beautiful plug to SMP. Super appreciate the shout out. Yes, here we are. This is part of our mission and our goal is to bring this knowledge to the students and for them to understand why this is so important. So in your time as a coastal policy expert, uh, I'll go so far as to say, and in your role within ASBPA and your work with them as well, um, I noticed that we haven't necessarily mentioned the term risk or risk management and risk analysis, risk communication as much. So I'm wondering um, if that is becoming more a part of the conversation as especially within the core, we're moving towards this risk-informed decision-making platform and how we handle projects um, and how we expect projects to be informed and be executed. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit in your experience with any any mention of risk. Yes, actually, that's that's a good one. It's one of my favorites. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a generalist. You know, I, I have this, this smattering of a bachelor's degree in geology back from the 70s. But um, much of my knowledge and skill set was developed OT, OTJ on the job, and um, one and I've been and I've been very fortunate to have been involved in, in a, quite a number of committees, a couple of National Academies committee, a Heinz Center committee, over the years, um, other things that kind of fell in front of me as opportunities, and I and I attended part of the Heinz Center study that I was involved in, looked at Hurricane Andrew in Florida and the consequences of that. We had a social economist on the panel that was eye-opening to me. Now, this would have been in the, I think, uh, late or mid-1990s, I think it was. My memory doesn't tell me exactly what dates it was. Um, but it opened my eyes to risk and, and consequence. So we have, we have, as humans, we have this thing called risk acceptance. Every day, we're exposed to risk. Getting in your car and driving to the local uh, store to get a cup of coffee, there's risk involved in that. You could get hit by another car. You could scald your your mouth with coffee. There are lots of lots of risks. Getting up in the morning out of bed, you could slip on your rug next to your bed and fall down. But we accept those risks, and it's an interesting thing because of the sporadic and isolated nature of coastal hazards. We tend to we tend as a society to put that into acceptable risk, and I will roll the dice and hope it doesn't hit me until that day that it does. So, from ASBPA standpoint. We, when, when I first became involved in ASPPA, we were very much exclusively involved with Corps of Engineers. And over the years, through a lot of evolution and, and a, a wider range of participants through our membership and through our conferences and through our outreach tools, we have seen that we are very much a part of FEMA's world in risk management and risk reduction. We're very much a part of NOAA's world in, in understanding coastal dynamics and, and understanding where NOAA comes in to serve the population of this country and looking at, at, at coastal risks. We are part of USGS's world and Department of Interior and their understanding of coastal dynamics, nearshore has, hazards. I mean, rip currents is another area where we have seen our expertise play into what has to, what is is a consequence of going to the beach. Surf zone injury is something which we have been involved in to a degree. Um, there's any number of places. So I think we have matured and we have evolved 
so that risk, risk management, risk acceptance is something that we are cognizant of, sensitive to, but not necessarily as a society in a position to change the acceptance that people make. People live in hurricane prone areas. They live in tornado prone areas. They live in earthquake prone areas and they live in forest fire and landslide prone areas because 99.999% of the time you're fine. It's that one one thousandth of a percent time that it is not And California experienced it with wildfires. So I think nationally, if we were to expand that thought, I think nationally, and something I've been, been been championing for years is that we need to look at our defense budget, if you will, and look at natural disasters, all of them, as a threat to national security, very much much as much as, as other things. We we have found virus is a threat to national security. We have found that foreign enemies are also that. You know, I think we need to the next evolutionary change, which which you all in your generation will take up, is how we look at natural hazards as something which is because our population has grown so much in this country, and because we are living in places that were not acceptable to live by people two hundred years ago and a hundred years ago. It's looking at that that acceptance of risk, and how do you buy down the risk if, itself if you can? So I think that opens up a really really good conversation going forward. Yeah, you mentioned um, a lot of a lot of synergies across a lot of national programs, whether it's ASPPA, USACE, FEMA, NOAA, USGS, all of these acronyms, feel free to Google it. Um, that's what it's like working with the federal government on things. But I'm wondering um, if, not to touch too much on the concept of risk, but if there if we're all having the same conversation, if we're all having on the same page and have the same language of risk, I'm wondering what the synergy has been like in your experience uh, with ASPPA. Do you find that working with all of these organizations, um, ASPPA is kind of almost like a glue, uh, bringing everybody together and making sure that we're all on the same page? So exactly like how does ASPPA do its policy work with these organizations? That's 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 a great concept, and I love I love the um, the idea of us being a glue. Um, I, I would I would throw another another uh, descriptor in there too, is maybe we're a um, catalyst uh, for for improved conversation. Um, there is a tendency, uh, I think it's a human tendency, and it's not confined to the federal government. There's a tendency for people to stovepipe or to silo. Uh, their mission, their budgets, where we, we, we get to the end of the day. And I've been through this having worked 38 years for state government um, and been involved very much at, at federal funding for projects that there, as much as there is a connection from all of us to have a common goal of risk reduction, flood risk management, buy down, um, investing ahead of time and mitigating uh, consequences before they occur, it, it ends up Sadly, because of the limitation of funding, it ends up being a competition. Sometimes it's state to state. Sometimes it's federal agency to federal federal agency. Sometimes it's from the person down the hall who may be getting funding in their section, but not my section. So I think the challenge is there to look at the catalyst or the glue. I like the concept of a glue where we can promote from an ASPPA standpoint, and we do, we, we have a summit coming up, summit meeting coming up this spring. We have historically met in, in, in DC for that. 
and we try to arrange for agency visits, and then we report back out at the end of the summit as to what we experience within those agency visits. And, and, and I'm sorry for the acronyms, but we do visit NOAA, we visit FEMA. Uh, sometimes we have USGS folks come in and talk to us in our presentations. We certainly visit the core. Uh, we have visited others over the years. And, and so we help try to promote that, that cross-structuring, if you will. BOEM is another one with, the, with offshore sand resources. Um, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, I'm sorry. Um, and, and so they're, they're, you know, we like to take that opportunity. It's, it's one time a year where we bring folks together. I think we need to step up that and have a follow-up on that and see how we can begin to break that down. I think regional sediment management within the core USACE, um, is an area where we have championed that for a long time. A lot of people have. We've been part of the choir asking for regional sediment management approaches, and it, it's taken hold. They're doing a better job of that. I think the siloing is starting to break down. I think uh, leadership from within the core and also external to the core is seeing that there's a real merit in that. And I think we're seeing some movements in Congress right now that would probably lead to the next steps in, in doing that. And I think that uh, that stovepiping can continue. There's been, there have been councils in the past um, under Bush two, there was the oceans report and there was a, um, a implementation team of many different uh, agencies that were coming together. And then, um, you know, following that administration, there was, there was, there was continuation for a while on that, but I think it's time we, we get, uh, maybe some of those commissions back together again and deal with what NOAA and FEMA and, and um, the core all have in common in, in, in improving our resilience against um, what we know is inevitable coastal storm sea level rise. That's a really good point. Uh, thank you for that. So outside of the regional sediment management uh, focus, what other uh, primary policy positions does ASBPA hold? It's always it's always uh, trying to get more funding, and I that's and I, I hesitate to say that or I say it with a laugh because it, it's fundamental, but comes across being a little crass. We, everybody needs more money. We don't have enough to do what we need to do. Um, you know, regional sediment management is way is, is looking looking at a resource. Uh, a better way of managing a resource, which is sediment. I think we, we, we probably need to expand uh, as, a, as a nation, I suppose, and, and certainly state by state, but certainly a mission within ASBPA is to continue to expand the awareness of social impacts of, of letting beaches deteriorate, letting, letting dunes collapse to the point where they're not providing the level of protection and, and recreational opportunity that they once did. I think it's accounting. We, we need to do a better job of accounting uh, on what benefits a healthy coastline. Um, I tend to talk a lot about beaches and, and, and dunes. It has, been, it has been the mainstay of, of ASBPA for so long to work with that. We are looking at, at because we're the American shore and a beach, Preservation. We're looking at shores more more totally, and um, wetlands wetlands uh, recipient of sediment um, as an as an opportunity to keep up a sea level that may be overtaking wetlands. We're seeing but deteriorate um, any number of ways in which sediment can be used, and we can manage better 
erosing, eroding conditions that are deteriorating with landforms, beaches, dunes, uh, marshes, uh, riverbanks, uh, sometimes on tidal channels. Uh, very much so. We're coastal. We don't go too far up rivers, but we do go into into rivers, up estuaries a little bit. So I, I think there's plenty of opportunity to explore how all this system works better and how we can look at uh, the social impacts of that and how we can invest up front uh, before the incident occurs. I think one of the things that the tool that's lacking in our toolbox, uh, using an old reference, <clears throat> is the assessment should be done after every major coastal event, which is uh, accounting for damages avoided. Now that, that's very difficult to look at what didn't happen. Uh, case in point, illustration, I involved in a Delaware project and we're looking at one of our chronically bad communities in Delaware, a community called South Bethany where water literally would wash under the houses for most of the winter. Um, we have a very different beach scenario between summer and, and winter here is a seasonal exchange of sand through the cross shore. And we end up with uh, uh, a seawall on the backside, a revetment of rock on the backside of the houses to protect the road, the, the servicing those houses. And um, we were getting ready to do a master project to put a dune in front of the houses and a beach beyond that. And a co cooperative project, Corps of Engineers in the state of Delaware and we'll report her who I'd been working with for years in a state paper, said to me, how will you know when you're successful of this? And this is a very telling observation. How will you know when you're successful in this project? And her name happened to be Molly. And I said, Molly, I'll know we're successful when, when we have a major storm and you don't arrange to meet me in South Bethany to look, how look at how bad it is. In other words, it, it becomes no news. And, and we have these communities where we have um, uh, boardwalks, where uh, the, the water washes on the boardwalk and flood communities. And it's an opportunity for people to go on the boardwalk and look over the dune and see the, see the storm on the other side. We, we can change dramatically the situation to the point where reporters don't show up. And that's what the Corps has to do. There is no news when you've done your job, but we have to make that the news. We have to account for it and say, if we go down the coast where there was no beach and dune, the New Jersey coastline had a lot of opportunity after Sandy, where there was a dune and there was uh, a, a wide beach, flooding occurred from the bayside, but it was still water. Water came up, water came down, and things were wet. Where the dune didn't exist or where the dune got knocked down because it was insufficient to take on the, the energy of that storm, we had velocity water, and that's a totally different kind of flooding. We have water with waves and current going going through these houses and knocking them over. And, and within miles of each other, we had all those opportunities. We did not do a really good proper accounting. There was some estimates made as to how many dollars were saved by having a dune in place. But I think we have to customarily look at those opportunities as to damages avoided, in, uh, and, and it's not just damages to the structures. That was really the only thing that was measured. How many people didn't die? And I hate to be as blunt as that, but how many people didn't die? How many people were able to recover in their house? How many people didn't lose their jobs? How many people didn't lose their cars? I mean, there's so many things you could count. Uh, and that was one of the things in Hurricane Andrew that the social economist we talked to, the the level of of, of mental 
issues, uh, you think uh, depression, um, alcoholism, drug dependency, uh, spousal abuse, suicide rates. In every one of our coastal disaster areas, a year later, or two years later, those those levels are still higher than they are in in unaffected communities. And so it's a it's a major thing we should be paying more attention to to get at why diminishing that risk is so important. I could not agree more. As someone who's an engineer on the research and development side, as part of the USAs, as as part of the Army Corps. Um, I'm noticing that we are definitely changing our mindset, one, towards risk-informed decision-making, but also towards, well, how do we better capture those other social effects that don't necessarily have a an easy quantitative value? And it's like these damages avoided. I like the idea of that potentially being a metric that we can use, kind of like a... Um, not an inverse, but the reciprocal almost of, you know, what the costs and damages that actually occurred, well, what didn't happen? And that could be something to include, again, as a metric in order to help us answer the question, how will we know when we're successful in everything that we do? I'm wondering, you did mention the Coastal Summit, which is coming up next month. Um, and we, as a podcast, will be doing a, a an episode on that next month as well. So be sure to tune in. But I'm wondering if those will be topics of discussion at the summit, you think? Um, you're catching me a little flat-footed because I haven't looked at the, uh, the speaker lineup that we have. But yes, I think that that's one of the things we gear, gear toward. Um, I've actually been spending my last few days looking at the fall conference and some things we're trying to work on for that. But I, I can't say specifically off the top of my head who we have lined up to, to address that. We do have some relatively uh, high, high up. We have the Assistant Secretary of the Army uh, invited to, to attend and talk to us about some of the things. We have an opportunity to raise these questions in the Q&A part, portion of uh, speakers. It's going to be a virtual meeting. Uh, but there will be an opportunity for some of the speakers to to bring up some of these issues. We are going to have agency visits as well. Uh, we usually set the agenda on that. We're, we're to, right now reaching out to those agencies to determine who's going to be able to participate. And certainly we want to ask the questions that are pertinent to the folks from the agencies that are going to be able to make our visitation. So uh, all of the things we I've been discussing and talking about are things that we have been talking about with NASBPA for some time. Um, one of the things that that I'm hoping to take on as I venture forward, I, I'm now um, just basically barely two and a half weeks or something in, into my new job as executive director, um, is looking at the financial stability of ASBPA and who who else has quote unquote skin in the game of, of beaches. And so it's another thing we're looking at too is the the in addition to uh, reducing risk um, and and investing in mitigation prior to reaction, um, we're looking a little bit about who's benefiting from all this terrific work that that all the professionals involved in ASPPA and beyond the engineering companies, the Corps of Engineers, FEMA, uh, NOAA, USGS. We're all together working to put together a a better understanding of coastal dynamics, coastal forces, and ways to 
work with, with energy dissipation across a broad spectrum of beach, dune, bar system. And, and with that work goes a benefit to any number of, you know, Coca-Cola, how many more Cokes are sold in a year uh, on the beaches of America because we have a great uh, recreational opportunity? How many um, more meals are served? How many hotel rooms are rented? There, there, there's another whole facet to the recreational service industry that we, we probably ought to be listening to as well because they do benefit from us a little bit. So I, I drift apart, but going back to the summit, um, we'll have to look at, as you, as you broadcast about the summit, we'll have better information than I'm providing right now on the specifics as to topics that will be addressed and the folks from the different ent- entities and agencies that will be addressing them. Awesome. So let's talk about um, for our prospective coastal policy professionals, our students um, and new professionals that are looking to go into a more soft side of coastal management. So, you know, coastal planning, coastal policy, the uh you know, sociology, more (laughs) related sides of coastal management. Why should a student and young professional consider going down the coastal policy rabbit hole? Well, it kind of harkens back to, I'm reflecting, I guess, on, on my personal experience where I came out of college with an understanding of coastal geology, uh, but it was it was a passion for me. I, I wanted to be involved in science. I'm using a, a, a self-explanation here, I guess, or self-example, that if your passion is understanding and managing, you know, beaches of some sort, that was mine. Um, if the vision is that you want to be uh, a, a significant participant in the many the multifaceted world of coastal management it's not just atlantic city and miami and 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 um uh, santa monica it, it, it's it's in galveston it's it's you know natural barrier beach systems um Assateague island comes when i'm right here fire island long island uh, there, there's the sandy hook new jersey there there's so many uh padre island texas there's so many opportunities to try to understand how you manage. And, and so, you know, there's there's the, the track that comes to mind to a lot of folks is the technical track with geology and, and engineering. But if you want to get involved in that multifaceted aspect, which is dealing with a little bit of economics, a little bit of politics, uh, understanding the geology, <clears throat> talking to the geologists, talking to the engineers, understanding that and utilizing all the tools to put together in your own mind, convincing yourself that this is something that needs to be attended to better than it has been in the past. And it's getting better, but certainly room to, to improve greatly over the years to come. It's a great opportunity to mix a lot of, a lot of disciplines together and tell a very clear story as to why, if you've got the right passion, this is, this is the kind of work we should be doing as a society. And I really think that there's a, you know, in the policy arena, it, it's it's really, you know, from a personal standpoint, looking back over my shoulders for many years, it's very rewarding, um, I, I guess, to, to, to say this in a way that makes perhaps some better sense. I'll use a personal example. I'm going to 
tell you what it is, but I'm leading into it. I was asked by a secretary. My, my first exposure to something in, in D.C. was the National Governors Association climate change group that was put together in the mid-1980s. And um, I had not been at my agency for very long, and I got uh, asked to come down to the, the cabinet secretary's office. Uh, great guy. And he, he loved to do one-on-one with staff. And he pulled me down out of the blue and sat me down and said that the governor uh, is involved in a climate change program, looking at sea level rise and its implications. Would I be interested in getting involved? And I said, well, yeah, sure. I'd be dumb not to. And he said, all right, meetings tomorrow. You got to go to D.C. and become part of this. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I went over to D.C. and I became part of this. Well, it lit a fire under me that, that suddenly maybe somebody would trust me to utilize the things I had learned in my thinking to help set some policy that would change the way in which we do things in this country. And that was the very first opportunity I had to do something like that. I never thought that was real. I never thought there was an opportunity to actually engage at a high level. And I, and I think for, for your audience, for the, for the, um, students and young professionals that, that are within ASBPA. You've, you've made that first step. You've joined ASBPA. You're part of the group, the next generation that is going to make those changes, that you're going to be able uh, to utilize the things you learn along the way to have convincing arguments as to why we need to do better. And I think that's pretty heady stuff when you get right down to it, that there's an opportunity to, to see the nation go in a slightly different direction because you were there and you applied yourself. And so I think that's really pretty good motivation. I'd say I'm on board, even though I only have the technical aspect of things. I'll provide you guys data. I'm happy to support. Yeah, like Tony said, policy best informed by science. We do like that. I also really like what you said, um, or what I've gleaned from this, is that Coastal policy doesn't always have to mean D.C. So in our last coastal policy discussion, yes, we did talk with a Canals fellow um, who had the opportunity to go to D.C., did all the D.C. things in coastal policy, uh, but eventually also came back to the local level or the regional level. And so you can... I mean, I don't think you can avoid D.C. altogether, but you can keep it at the local level and only communicate um, through the chain up to D.C. You don't have to throw yourself into the mix if, you, if that's not your cup of tea. No, and that, that's that's 100 percent right. And, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be at a government level. Um, the fall conference particularly is, is an opportunity. I'm, I'm been attending those as kind of a policy wonk forever. I mean, ever since I was in college, I started going to, to conferences. And then when I became a, a employee of my agency, I, I was going to conferences as much as I could. Uh, sometimes you see an individual beach, sometimes it's a neighborhood that has done something different and but right. And you can help explode that up to a town level, a county level, a state level, and eventually maybe even a federal level. Many, many ideas of how we do things are started right in the in the field at the at the grassroots fundamental level and um i really have seen things have come out of uh small endeavors um and, and i don't mean small and in, 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 in an insignificant way but it can be neighborhood based it could be a town it could be a county based operate if you have a good idea and a, and a better way of evolving the way we've done something and do it 
better and you're you're a good tech mind and you know you know they've been doing they've been pumping sand this way forever maybe we could make a tweak and and do it this way and we can have a 20 percent savings in, in efficiency well that that will make its way through the ranks of the federal government because it's a good idea good ideas are can generate at any level and and that's really a take-home message preach preach amen i like it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well tony uh what advice would you give to students or new professionals who are interested in pursuing a similar position or field of study as yourself i i I think it goes with whether you have a passion for it or not If if you have found yourself within asbpa and and you're technical or you're policy oriented, but you're you've gone to the step of, of becoming an active member in ASBPA, that probably reflects that you have passion for this. And if you have passion for this, which is what I'm assuming, exercise it, uh, nurture it, um, go after it. Uh, use use ASBPA and all the connections you can make and all the people you can meet as a way of of a catalyst and a glue, using those same terms we talked about for agencies, as part of your world of catalysts and glue, you can you can benefit from from the knowledge that people have have can share with you. Go to conferences, have a cup of coffee. I'm I I will be at the fall conference that we're going to have. I think in Long Beach. We're supposed to be. Uh, we're setting that up right now. I will be virtual on the on the summit. But when we get back, especially to the to the in person meetings. I invite every one of you, please look for me. I'm, I, I actually am a, I'm a, I'm a um, um, introvert, and so I tend to shy away from crowds just because I gravitate that way. But that doesn't shouldn't be off putting. See, find me, talk to me, sit me down with a cup of coffee, and let's let's chat. Happy to share it with you. If you haven't noticed in this conversation, which is coming to a close here, I've got I still have passion for this topic for the people involved in it and how we can make a difference in this country. There's still work to be done. Let's get together and and make that happen. Thank you so much. That is great advice. And thanks for being here with us and sharing your experiences and thoughts on coastal policy within ASBPA and beyond. Happy to do it. Glad I could participate. And I hope this is a continuing conversation um, with everybody involved in ASBPA and particularly the uh, students and young professionals. Looking forward to meeting more of you in the fall conference in person. Thank you. I look forward to that too. All right. As a reminder for our listeners, the ASBPA Coastal Summit is coming up in March. Registration is open at asbpa.org. We will be highlighting the Coastal Summit in next month's episode of this podcast. What to expect going into the summit, how best to network in a virtual environment, and words of wisdom from the summit organizers themselves for students and new professionals. Don't forget to submit your nominations for any federal officials or members of Congress who you know to have championed coastal causes at the national and or local levels for the 2022 Government and Policy Awards. More information can be found at ASBPA.org. Selected award winners will be announced at the Coastal Summit. Thanks all for tuning in this month. 